I was born Patty Hodge. It's a little loud, I think. <clears throat> I was born Patty Hodge in Frankfort, Indiana in 1948. And when I was nine years old, we moved to what I thought was the promised land, California, Disneyland, <laughs> Southern California. I'm one of seven children, seven of us, and we all got together a few weeks ago in Atlanta to, to celebrate the youngest 50th birthday. We'd done it for all of us. Well, after that, I came back to Indiana to Ball State and became Miss Hodge, an elementary school teacher. And I did that for a few years until I married my husband, Jim Blakely, 45 years ago, and then I was known as Mrs. Blakely when I taught school. My identity changed again as I became the mother of three children, and now the mother-in-law of three, and I have nine grandchildren, of whom call me Nana. That's my identity, Nana, and I'm known for the one who makes milkshakes and chocolate chip cookies whenever they ask me to. I haven't said no yet. But the identity that means the most to me came in 1982, when Jesus called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I was changed then from the inside out. From a worrier, I was the world's worst, my husband would tell you, to one who trusts in the only one who is totally faithful. From a woman who was afraid of death and what tomorrow might bring, to someone who relies on Christ for the preciousness of each new day. Well, our lesson today is on the identity, meaning the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. And our identity people today are the Israelites, who are about to go to battle for the possess the land that God promised them. Their identity was be, to be their distinguishing mark and motivation for obeying and serving God. What's your identity? And how does studying the Israelites and their identity have any application for our own lives? Well, let's take a look, quick look at the lecture notes to show you where I'm, I'm going with this scripture. We're in Deuteronomy 7, 1 to 26. And if you look at the front page, we're really talking about establishing a nation, a land, the land that they were going into, telling them who they were, the blessings they will have, and what they were to remember and remove in this nation. And then I'm kind of going to bridge it to a glimpse to the future and um, what happened after the times of Deuteronomy. And then on the back page, switching from establishing a physical nation to a spiritual kingdom. Who we are in that, our blessings we have, and remembering to remove those things that hinder us. So a spiritual kingdom. So will you pray with me? <clears throat> Dear Father, I thank you that we each have an identity. We may be a mom, we may be a sister, a daughter. We may be someone who's just important in a different way in our workplace, or in our neighborhood. But I thank you that you have called each one of us to a higher calling, to identify with your son. So I pray today as we study this passage about the Israelites coming into this land that had been promised to them for 600 years, that you will remind us and teach us what it means to be a, a disciple in your kingdom. May uh, your words just resonate off the page as we hear and listen your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'm going to read through the entire text since it's only 26 verses, so if you would follow along in your own Bible as I read, and as I'm reading, I want you to listen for 
um, who God is and what he requires of his people. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and should no, show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a, holy, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all these people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You not, should not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You may not make an end to them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. 
You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Well, we could almost entitle this chapter, In the Battle to Possess the Promised Land, Moses gives the Israelites their marching orders. I've got a a map up here for you to look at. And um, I want you just to see where we are. Right now, we are east of the Jordan. And you can see, I put little Moses up there. Can you see Moses standing there? Just to kind of put him where he is. East of the um, Jordan River on the plains of Moab, where they have captured already Hessian and Bashan. And that area is right under and on top of where Moses is. Scholars disagree about the exact location of all seven nations, but these are shown. The Amorites, which are right above Moses, the Canaanites, which are at the top or left, the Hivites, who are right in the middle by Bethel, and then the Jebusites, those, um, which is really now common day what we would know as Jerusalem, and that was the toughest battle they had. I thought that was interesting to see. So right now, we're on the plains of Moab, The chapter starts with the word when. When God brings you in and clears the many nations. What does that mean? It will happen. It's going to happen. He is going to fulfill what he says he's going to do. Then in verses 2 to 5, Moses immediately tells him what to do. When God brings you in and clears away the many nations, then... He is almost telling them what the second commandment is. Do not make for yourself a carved image. So break down, dash in pieces, and burn these idols. This seems inhumane to us today. Hopefully the sidebar in your study guide as you discuss it will give you a little insight behind the reason for this judgment that seems so severe to us. Well, why? What was the reason? It really points to the first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. It states in verse 4 that they would turn away from your sons from following me to serve other gods. God wanted their soul affection. So what should be their motivation in obeying the Lord their God? Probably the key passage of this chapter and your memory work that you'll be reciting on uh, November 30th. Look at verse 6. It was up a little while ago. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then it goes on to say they are loved, chosen by God, just as he promised the fathers. He came to the oppressed Israelites enslaved in Egypt and redeemed them by his great acts and power. He forgave them when they made a golden calf as an idol to worship. He sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years, and as you'll see next week in chapter 8, their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell. He worked all those details. Even this passage alone, they're told to remember Egypt three different times in verses 8, 15, and 18. From slavery, they've been redeemed. God's chosen possession. They were never to forget it. That was their identity. That was why they were to worship him alone and not make idols, because of his redeeming love, because they were set apart by him as a special nation, and they hadn't done a thing to deserve it. 
The book of Deuteronomy continually reveals more about God. I hope you are growing in your intimacy with him as Laura asked us to do weeks ago because the more you know God's identity, the more you know your own. I want you to look at the next few verses then. So we know the motivation because he loves them, but what does he now request of them? Look at the words, therefore. So what is it, therefore? So if you look, know therefore, the Lord your God is faithful, he keeps covenants, steadfast love, he keeps his commandments to thousand, he even repays to the face those who hate him by destroying them. And then also, therefore, be careful to do the commandments and the statues and the rules that he commands you. We see not only God's steadfast love and faithfulness, but come face to face with his justice. He destroys those who hate him. This was really observed when he instructed the Israelites to, de to destroy those in the promised land. They worshiped other gods and were not submissive to Yahweh. Therefore, because of his great love, trust this faithful God and obey all his commands. Well, the blessings are abundant, as Susie already mentioned in her introduction. He will keep you, love you, bless you, give you victory. Cover, you'll cover this well in your discussion group, I know. But in essence, Moses assures the Israelites of the blessings that come from obedience. Physical blessings of food, children, good health. But then there's another marching order that's hard for them. They were again told to destroy the people, not to pity them or serve the, their gods. I found it interesting when I was studying that Moses uses the word snare and ensnared in today's passage as a warning. In verse 16, he said the people would be a snare to them. And in verse 25, the Israelites would become ensnared by the riches of the nation. One of the adjectives for that is to capture, control, catch, as in a trap. He was warning them not to be pulled in by their way of living. If you remember... In Deuteronomy 1, as this uh, chapter began, Moses was reminding the people that they were at the same point, ready to possess the uh, promised land 40 years ago. But they were too afraid to trust God. And only those who, who trusted him were Joshua and Caleb. This time, he gives them a cure for fear, remembering what God has done. Moses rouses the troops for this military conquest by promising them that God is in their midst. He reiterates that God will give his chosen people victory in the promised land. And as this passage comes to an end, Moses tells them to get rid of idols. This is the third time he said that in this passage. You shall not bring an abominable thing even into your house because you could become devoted to it and it will bring you to destruction. So what does this have to do with us today? Well, the next section I have on your notes is a bridge to the future, the promised land. <laughs> Let's fast forward to the time of Joshua. As you know, Joshua's commissioned to lead the Israelites into the promised land. The book of Joshua, which follows Deuteronomy, completes the story which was begun in the Pentateuch. I want you to go to that next chapter if you have your Bible open or on your cell phone or whatever. I want you to look at Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. 
And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All his words came to pass. This is the answer to the when that Deuteronomy 7 started with. And then I want you to go farther back and look at Joshua 24, 11 to 14 with me. And you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave, it, gave you a land in which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. That's what he had told them to do. So Joshua died, though, and soon all the others. I want you to turn to the next chapter, which is the book of Judges. I want you to see what happens after the death of Joshua. Judges 2, 10 to 12. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there also rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoke the Lord to anger. And Susie, if you put that map back up we just had, I just, I meant to show them when I was reading. This is, I showed you the map in the beginning. This is the map of the promised land. These are all the nations that they accomplished. A lot of land, isn't it? He promised them and he fulfilled it. This is the land that he had told them about back in Genesis 15 to Abraham that he would capture for them. So we see they capture the land but then they fail in their obedience to the Lord. This pattern of abandoning the Lord and going after other gods is repeated throughout the Israel's history during the time of the judges, the kings, and the divided kingdom, and when they were carried off to Babylon. Despite the warnings from Moses, Joshua, and many other prophets, the people worshiped idols and were not worshiping the one true God. But hope is given. It's given through the prophets Ezekiel and the prophet Isaiah. In Ezekiel, we hear in verses 36, 25 to 28, I will sprinkle clean water in you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The prophet Isaiah referred to a prophet to come in Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The holiday season will soon be on at Monus when this scripture will be sung throughout the world. A Savior had come into the world, God incarnate. And then as Jesus was on earth with his disciples, he was getting ready to leave them up in the upper room. And one of the words he said to them was in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Israelites, remember, had God in their midst. Those who follow Christ have the Spirit within them, indwelling them. What a gift we have today. Jesus also said, my kingdom is not of this world. And as you read in Colossians in your lesson, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A new spiritual kingdom based on love for Jesus, the one who has redeemed us from our sin. Because of this, do you look at yourself as the apostle Peter attributed to Christians? This passage sounds so familiar to the one that we had today. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thompson in his commentary on Deuteronomy states, the Christian believer today is also chosen by God as a sheer act of grace on his part. God in Christ, came to men who were in the bondage of sin and liberated them from the power of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. When did God call you out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light? So what's your identity? A mom, a wife, a daughter, a mother, a grandmother, accountant, president of an organization, a dentist, what are you? <laughs> As a young mom, I was actually dressed up for once. I had just been to a Bible study. And I had Kathy, who was about two and a half on my hip, and I walked into a Wendy's restaurant. It was lunchtime, and it was right across from a big industrial complex where it was being built. And there were, I was in line, me alone with Kathy and a bunch of construction workers. One of them said loud enough for me to hear, you're a yuppie. At that time, it meant young urban professional, someone who lived in a city and made lots of money. It was not an enduring term for someone to call you. My biggest mistake and regret of that day was that I remained silent. I should have said, no, I'm a Christian, redeemed and loved by the Lord Jesus, and a wife and a mother who loves my husband and children. I didn't proclaim the excellencies of him who had called me out of darkness. Our identities in life can change, can't they? Especially for moms whose children leave the nest or a woman who loses her husband. 
or if you lose your job or move to a new community. But if your identity is in Christ, ladies, it will never change because his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that has no end and no boundaries. Just as the Israelites had to remember over and over again that they had been redeemed from slavery, we need to appreciate the fact that we have been cleansed, forgiven, and loved. And that is our motivation in loving, serving, and obeying Christ and his commandments. The scriptures shout of our new identity in Christ. You should have been handed a copy of Who I Am in Christ, which lists the spiritual blessings you have been given. They're divided up in the following. I'm accepted in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. I'm significant in Christ. Read those. Look them up. Appropriate them to yourself. These are yours in Christ Jesus. On those days when you question who you are or where you're going, read and take these to heart. This past winter, a friend called and asked me to be in a book study. And we studied a book called Because He Loves Me by Elise Fitzpatrick. If you want to really nestle in and be reminded of your worth in Christ, this is a foundational book. One of the things she reflects on is the changes we realize when we become a part of Christ's kingdom. Number one, our history changes. We've been adopted by our Father in heaven, and his story is now our story. Capital C, <laughs> he is the creator, and I'm in my place as his creation. Number two, our citizenship has changed. We're citizens of heaven, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And our future has changed. We are no longer indentured to the gods of the earth. We are living with eternity in mind and a savior who will come to gather us to himself. And as far as spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And the rest of chapter 1 of Ephesians is filled with these blessings. I was reading a devotional a few days ago in which I thought really actualized these blessings in our life. The freedom that Christ gives enables us through faith to become a child of God, to confess our sin, to forgive others, to refrain from practicing sin, to trust God to repay those who hurt us. Remember, we saw that in our passage today. To rejoice in all that is eternal, to be free from fear, to love God's word, to hope, and to look forward to a glorious eternity. Freedom releases burdens, bestows rest, enables obedience, and empowers us to love. In our passage today, the Israelites were afraid and doubting. But Moses reminded them of their identity as God's chosen people. We too need to remind ourselves daily of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Tell ourselves the good news of the gospel every day. Elise Fitzpatrick in her book said, our problem is that if we don't continually remind ourselves of how he has chosen, renamed, and remade us, the struggle to grow in Christian character will become nothing more than another attempt at self-improvement. Self-improvement always results in self-loathing pride. Didn't we see that in the Pharisees in the New Testament times? But we're also given warnings. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthians by reminding these Jewish Christians that the things the Israelites did or failed to do happened to them to give them an example. Listen to what he says in verses 12 to 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then, therefore, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Are there still idols today? Most certainly. Other religions may have physical objects and relics that they worship, but I don't think that's what the Apostle John was saying when he said in John, 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In the book Gospel Treason, Brad Bigney gives the definition of an idol today. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Idolatry is who or what you worship, what you long for, what your heart is set on. Idolatry is a big deal because it flies in the face of God. Idolatry is a big deal because it infiltrates and takes over the heart, the nerve center determining the way we sin, when we sin, and with whom we sin. Idolatry is nothing more than a metaphor for human craving, yearning, and greedy demands. Ouch. How can you detect an idol? Some of the questions that I drew from this book were the following. Am I willing to sin to get this? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose this? Do I turn to this as a refuge and comfort instead of going to God? Where do I look for security, meaning, happiness, fulfillment, joy, or comfort? Where do I put my basic trust? Is it my job? my husband, my own abilities? Another question you could ask yourself would be, what causes conflict in your life? Paul Tripp says, do you have any conflict in your life? Do you experience moments of extreme irritation towards someone you otherwise love? Are there people who simply push your buttons more than others? Do certain things drive you crazy on a daily basis? The answer to all these questions is that we think of our lives as our own, and we are more committed to the purposes of our own kingdom than we are to God's. We need to recognize that the people in our way have been sent to us by a wise and sovereign God. He never gets a wrong address and always chooses just the right moment to expose our hearts and realign them to his. Might I have the idol of my own needs coming first? Oh, another way to spot idols in your own life is by looking at the trail of where you spend your time, your money, and your affections. Look at your bank account. Look at your calendar. Look at what is the love of your life. For Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also, Matthew 6, 21. Just as the cure for the Israelites when they doubted or fear was to remember who God was and what he had done for them in redeeming them from Egypt, as Christians, we need to remember that we have been cleansed from our former sins and sing about this forgiveness and redemption that comes from Christ alone. Identifying idols and trying to cast them out is a very painful, humbling, exposing thing. But remember... God's work in our life is never punitive. It's always redemptive. This means that he doesn't punish us for our sin, 
but rather that because of his great love, he gently and lovingly frees us from the lies, misconception, and idolatries that captivate and enslave our hearts. He never punishes us in wrath because he has no wrath left. Every drop of his wrath was poured out on his son. And that was Elisa Fitzpatrick's quote. Removing the things that capture my devotion more than the Lord is a lifelong battle. We all fight it, don't we? And we must keep a wartime mentality. God's grace gives us everything we need to maintain this mentality. His Holy Spirit, His Word, access to the throne of God through His Son, and the help and encouragement of other believers to speak truth into our lives. You're maintaining a wartime mentality by being where you are today in a Bible study, soaking in God's word with other people who are in the same battle as you are, imperfect people as we all are. Won't you allow God's word to expose your heart? One of my favorite quotes I read in studying was from Bigney's book also. God's word and his gospel should be like an IV bag that keeps your soul hydrated with living water, steadily dripping the hope-giving, life-altering, joy-igniting, perspective-changing truth, troop that will then shape how you feel regardless of what's going on around you because it's based on the objective, unchanging truth of God's words instead of your ever-changing, easily deflated, and often misguided feelings. Well, Moses and the Israelites in our passage today are on the plains of Moab overlooking the promised land. Today, we are living in a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that has no physical borders, a kingdom in which Christ is reigning in heaven and the Spirit indwells believers on earth. We still fall. There is still death, pain, and suffering, and we wait for Christ to return and establish his perfect kingdom on earth. And in contrast to what we learned in Deuteronomy 7.27, that the names of the earthly kings will perish from under heaven, we have a king who God highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is your identity? I hope that you belong to Jesus and that you will be quick to thankfully proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Dear Father, I'm thankful I am that I was born on this side of the new covenant. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells all of us. And as we go to our groups and to discuss just what your word means to us and what we learned from the example of these Israelites, may we be reminded of all the blessings that you've given us in Christ. And may we be quick when we leave this place to proclaim of your excellencies to a world that's in darkness and needs the light so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.